1: Chief of Correspondence for Business Week goes, on the record, online.
2: The bigger issue for all of us is that the advertisers have found the net to be a very cost-effective alternative to old media. And it's the advertisers who have kind of led the exodus away from old media and moved onto the net in a big way, and they're putting their resources there, and that is what has damaged um, the economics of the, of the
1: product. And thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. We do in depth, one on one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as from time to time, discussions with bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. If you're looking for uh, an easy way to integrate new media into your marketing and corporate communications and PR, uh, we have a very powerful tool that you can log into uh, over the Internet. Uh, you get a dashboard, and you can use that to manage content, to search engine optimize press releases uh, or other content, to email market, uh, to serve video and audio on demand, uh, RSS news feeds. Um, Pretty much the gamut of Web 2.0 communications, Uh, you have one central, uh, easy-to-manage tool that allows you to do all that. I am also Managing Director of Schwarzman & Associates. We are a boutique PR firm in Los Angeles, and uh, I'm proud to say we are featured in the uh, July 30th, 07 issue of PR Week, For a case study on the work we did for Star Wars Celebration, uh, which drew more than 35,000 fans to downtown Los Angeles, uh, where a number of festivities uh, uh, were underway. We secured 1,763 TV segments and 1,420 print news stories in five days, and we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, A couple of things I want to mention if you are interested in learning more about how to integrate uh, new media into your Uh, corporate communications, marketing, or PR campaigns, I will be teaching the New Media PR Boot Camp at the Public Relations Society of America in New York at headquarters, September 13th and 14th. Um, And if you can't make those dates, I'll be doing it again, a one-day version, at the PRSA International Conference, which will be in Philadelphia on October 20th. You can get more information on that at www.schwartzmanpr.com. Also, um, if you are looking for a job, we are hiring uh, an assistant account executive. Jennifer Deckel, who has been very helpful in the production of this podcast and who's been with us for some time now, uh, is moving on. She's going back to school to get a master's in foreign relations. We wish her well. We'll miss her, uh, but we're hiring. So if you have uh, at least a year of agency, PR agency experience, and you want to join one of the hottest uh, West Coast uh, boutiques, Uh, Go to schwartzmanpr.com. click on the About Us menu, and then select the second link there, Assistant Account Executives, and you'll get uh, detailed information on this job opportunity. Uh, And now we are going to play for you the interview with Joe Weber, Chief of Correspondence for Business Week. As always, it comes to you entirely uncut, and uh, it's around 30 minutes long, and we are going to play it for you after this.
0: Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private pressrooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off.
1: Joe Weber, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Tell us what you do at Business Week.
2: Sure. I'm uh, Chief of Correspondence for the magazine um, and Chicago Bureau Chief, and and what that means is I oversee our domestic uh, bureau system for Business Week, um, several bureaus across the country, as well as um, overseeing particularly the Chicago operation, and I get to occasionally do some writing and, uh, and reporting myself. Not as much as I'd like anymore, but occasionally.
1: So give us if you would a day in the life, uh for you at Business Week.
2: Oh gosh. Every day is different. Uh which is the great thing of course about this uh about this business. Um, oh I don't know quite how to frame that. I guess I would say basically we we uh we pay attention, of course, and I come in, I I take a look at the papers, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times are you know high on the list, the Chicago Papers as well. Um and then i take a look at our business our website uh, businessweek.com see what's going on there check yahoo um see what's going on there um get a sense from you know from those organizations what's hot what's in the news um and then depending on the day i'll have meetings with various editors uh i folks on my staff or, or uh, people in new york to talk about what kind of stories we ought to be working on and then we set about doing them uh, if i'm doing a story then i'll pursue it if uh somebody else on staff is doing one they'll pursue it uh but every day is a little different of course
1: tell us how the news breaks down in terms of the news cycle
2: well we publish uh once a week of course business week when you're talking about the magazine and um, that closes on wednesdays which means that uh, by about i don't know 8 p.m east coast time on wednesday everything's got to be buttoned down they push the button and we come out with a magazine on thursday evening um and, uh, of course, there's lots of reporting and writing that goes into uh, into that week's book. Uh, a good bit of it, uh, much more of it than used to be the case, happens on uh, Monday and Tuesday as well as Wednesday because we want to jump on the news. And, of course, for features, you know, they will have been in, in the works for, in some cases, months before. Um, and we package them all together and, and send them out. Now, that's the magazine, and that's... We've been doing it that way for the 20 years I've been with Business Week. Um, so it's always gotten a little quicker and a little fresher and a little more timelier, but that's been going on. Separate of that, of course, we've got the website, and uh, and that's you know 24. It's not exactly 24 seven to be uh, to be fair about it, but it's certainly during the workday, um, at least five or six days a week. You know, we can put stuff online uh, very quickly. Um, news happens here; we want to write about it. You know, I'll hear about it from somebody at the website, and, and we're on it and, you know, out there with stuff uh, as soon as possible. We do try to add some value to the news, so oftentimes we wind up, or, you know, our stories will come out a little bit after the breaking news, the idea is we want to give a little perspective, a little analysis, something that you're not going to get through the wires. We don't want to just run a wire service, of course.
1: Tell us a little bit, if you would, about the hierarchy behind the decision-making processes at Business Week, and where do you sit in the in that hierarchy?
2: Well, the the um, you know the magazine, um, of course, is produced um, in the end by editors in New York, uh, or directed, I should say, by editors in New York. It's produced by people all over the world, uh, literally all over the world. But um, there's a few editors in New York who really direct it, and Steve Adler, of course, is uh, the, the the editor-in-chief so he oversees businessweek he oversees businessweek dot com he oversees the tv operation we've got going he oversees any podcasts multimedia stuff he ultimately makes um, all the decisions and he's got a group of people below him there's an executive editor in charge of the magazine uh... A woman we just brought over from the wall street journal by the name of ellen pollack uh... she used to be one of their uh, front page editors and she's uh... just joined us very recently She's going to oversee the production of, uh, of the magazine Week In and Week Out with Steve. And then there's an executive editor, uh, an editor chief for BW Online, for Business Week Online. That's a fellow by the name of John Byrne. The three of them are assisted by um, a handful of assistant managing editors. There's about four or five of them. And, uh, and those assistant managing editors supervise people called senior editors, um, and they... Um, Kind of assemble and direct and and marshal all the copy from correspondents all over the world. Uh, where I sit in the in the chain is um, I'm kind of like one of the staff sergeants uh, in the battalion, kind of overseeing the the domestic troops and um, you know making sure that they're producing uh, as I say that I'm producing that folks in, in the bureau here in Chicago are producing and you know offering as much guidance as I can from.
1: So I'm just looking over the, uh, the table of contents in a recent issue, and I see how things are arranged here. There's uh, Business Week, there's News and Insights, there's uh, Global Business. And then on the second page of the contents, it's broken down economics, finance, people, infotech, feedback. There's some columnists, ideas, features. Are the uh, editors married to particular sections?
2: Um, well... The editors are, the correspondents are not. Um, in other words, we have we have an editor for finance, um, you know, a person who oversees that area. He, he's got an assistant editor, and, you know, they very much specialize in finance coverage. They're responsible for, you know, covering the market blow-up that we just had recently, for instance. Um, we have a corporate, it's called a corporation editor, who's very much in charge of uh, corporate strategy stories. and. We have a few of those in, in most issues. Um, you know, We've got a personal uh, personal business editor who is in charge of the back of the book, which is where all, uh, some of the executive lifestyle and personal finance kinds of things uh, go. So each section of the magazine does have a dedicated senior editor they're called. Um, below them, if you will, the correspondents, those of us in the field, are able to write for just about any one of those senior editors. If we see a you know, let's say, I'm, let's say I'm, I'm thinking about doing a story on craft. Well, if there's a finance-oriented story to be done on craft, I might, you know, talk with our finance senior editor about, you know, some sort of finance angle on craft. If there's a corporate strategy story, I'll talk with the corporate uh, strategy editor about that. If there's a um, an innovation story, we also have a special uh, several times a year insert to the publication called Innovation or IN in the magazine. And, um, you know, if there's a story to be done on innovation, an innovation angle, I'll talk to the person who heads the innovation uh, operation. So it's, you know, the the stories find their slots based on the nature of the tale we want to tell.
1: So let's say, for example, that a correspondent um, has a story that they want to write for the magazine. Um, What is the process by which the decision gets made um, whether or not to actually have them write that story what 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 channels does that idea go through before it becomes a, an assignment
2: The it's either top-down or bottom-up it could be either way <clears throat> if I'm a correspondent in the field and again I use craft uh, as an example um, and I think there's a nifty story to be told about craft because I cover the company and I pay a lot of attention to it right um, so I develop a story idea I will call the appropriate senior editor Depending on the angle I'm pursuing, whether it be finance or strategy or personal business, if you want to talk about eating mac and cheese or something, and you know, I will, um, I will then phone up the editor and say, "Hey, I've got this story idea. What do you think?" The editor will uh, mull it over and say, "Yeah, pursue it," and together we will work on a, um, on the story and on a pitch for the story. The pitch for the story, which is basically outlining what we hope to uh, say. Is then presented to the um, assistant managing editors and to, um, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, to a large group of the magazine, a large number of, of people, most of the staff, in fact, who um, meet either in person or by phone every Friday, every Friday morning. If it's a really sort of hot story that deserves a lot of space in the front of the magazine, it will be brought up at that meeting and you know there will be either a yay or nay decision made um usually ultimately by um uh, by Steve and Ellen and John and whoever else is up there and they will say go get that story or they will say uh, go get that story but it's not for the front of the magazine it's for the back of the magazine maybe it'll be a little bit smaller um and you know and then and it will proceed from that we then go into production we you know produce the story turn it in um Often the length the actual length of the story isn't determined until the um the close the week that we close and and that will be a function of whatever else is going on, how much room other things need in a sense it's like a magazine you can allocate you have only x number of pages you have to allocate you know according to uh according to priorities and so on and you know some stories are going to be a lot longer and more pressing, and other stories are going to be shorter doesn't mean they're less interesting, but they might be shorter. Walk us
1: through the anatomy of the pitch. So you're preparing with the senior editor your pitch for the story that you are proposing to be written for the magazine. What makes a great pitch?
2: Um, What makes a great pitch? Well, you have to have an idea that uh, there there are several um, standards that we use at Businessweek. In order to be a story in the magazine, something has to be uh, fresh, it's got to be useful, and it's got to be concise. Those are sort of the three guiding pillars these days. Um, fresh means that you haven't seen it anywhere else. If the story has appeared somewhere else, we're not interested in it. Um, useful means it's got to be of practical value for our readers. It's got to um, it's gotta say to them something that they can use in their, uh, in their business. Um, it's got to be—I uh, forgot one very crucial word. It's also got to be surprising. In other words, there's got to be an aha on the part of the reader. I didn't know that. Boy, that is intriguing. Um, and it's got to be—it's got to be concise, meaning it's got to be uh, fairly tightly written. We don't have a whole—you know—we don't have an unlimited amount of real estate. We have to tell our stories in as short a form as possible. That's—that's that's, thats a real drive in. All journalism these days, people have short attention spans. We have to you know, meet that requirement. So those things, the story's got to meet those standards. Um, if it doesn't meet those standards, then it's probably not going to run in the magazine.
1: Are you ever surprised by what makes it and what doesn't? Or do you feel like, after having done this for as many years that you, that you have, that you can pretty much predict the fate of a pitch before it's vetted?
2: I, I don't think that it's... Um, I don't think that it's all that predictable, to be honest with you um you know we're all human and we're all making decisions on very subjective criteria, and we're all making decisions at different times of the year and with different things going on so for instance, um there was a cover story recently on the pet economy. I don't know if you'd seen that or not, but it was on this you know huge growth in the uh in the economy and for pets, which is a very big uh world for for a lot of our readers and you know that is a perfect summertime story. It's a wonderful summertime read. Would that be a story any other time of the year? Mm, probably not. Maybe at Christmas time, but probably not. It's a good summertime read. I think that one, you know, was pegged at, at the right time, and it probably would not have gotten cover space any other time of the year. That, that's something that I would uh, — again, I would say the timing makes uh, a lot of difference in that case. In a sense, it surprised me that it was um, was on the cover because, you know, the the um, the story is hardly serious, and we do have a seriousness of purpose about about our coverage at Business Week. It's not a flippant read. Um, you know, that one was just a little bit light. Now, what was interesting about that, and I, I think about, I mean, I really don't pretend to um, to know exactly what my bosses are are, are weighing when they consider, but the week before the pet economy ran we had a story on something called death bonds which was a very macabre and uh, bizarre story about how wall street is inventing these new uh, products called death bombs uh, bonds i should say and basically uh, profiting by <laughs> profiting by people's deaths um, using life insurance products it's really a strange Developing niche of the economy that we wrote about. So, you know, they wanted something. They had a guy with a hammer and sickle on the cover. I think they wanted something a little lighter to follow that the following week. Um, but you know, there's a lot of very important, serious news going on in business that we have to pay attention to first. And I think that's going to be the, the thrust of the magazine going forward. Um, you know, the market crash and the housing impact, the subprime economy impact, all that stuff is stuff we're paying very close attention to these days. You know, the issues around China and India and the development there, how that's affecting us here in the U.S., all that stuff. Very important, substantial news we got to tell people about. We want them to give people a lot of food for their brains. That's the whole point.
1: Now, Joe, I know uh, Business Week is... Pretty aggressive on the website with new media there's a number of blogs and a number of podcasts that uh, you're producing and and, and they're, they're being distributed with great frequency um, but my question is on the print side how does a print publication stay relevant you know at a time today when people have this insatiable appetite for immediacy with their news you know they want it right away and, and my, I guess the question is are we in danger of losing print news media journalism? I mean is it going to go away Is it going to become unprofitable?
2: Your guess is as good as mine um, I mean I, you know we've seen an enormous amount of change in the newspaper world um, you know I personally follow um, Tribune and, and The Sun Times group here in Chicago so i I can see you know what's happening there and the 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 newspaper world is shrinking very, very fast, and uh, certainly we're not going to have as many newspapers you know in five years as we've got now, and the newspapers we've got are going to be very different. I think magazines you know are also going to be different um, it, it's hard for me to imagine them going away i you know I think that we still add some value that people don't get online. you know there is something to be said for sitting down with. A glossy well put together uh, well laid out product that you can carry with you very easily um,
1: but but beyond that beyond the practical nature of uh, you know sitting down with a, a piece of uh, physical you know matter that doesn't shine into your eyes what other real what are the real benefits if you had to put your finger on the real benefits of a print publication uh, beyond just the practical nature of being able to Cuddle up
2: by the uh... And and carry around with you? Yeah. Um, Well, I wouldn't underestimate the practical nature of it. I mean, what what we're able to do in print is take a great deal of information, boil it down, and present it in a way that is very easily accessible. Now, you do that online as well, but online you have to sit there and stare at a computer. I think, you know, with print, you're on a plane, you're on a bus, you're on a train. a passenger in a car, you're at home, the magazine generally arrives at people's houses on Friday or Saturday. Um, typically Saturday. So, you know, you can pick it up, you can breeze through it, um you know, a leisurely weekend read and it it it's easy to digest. We make it simple for the reader. And there's a value in having that <clears throat> in terms of print. Now, you know, the media the, the web media is a very different animal. Um there's an immediacy about that. But there is also a—you um, know—it's not—it's not a simple thing to navigate. You got to—you are inundated with an enormous amount of information. How do you know what's important? One of the things that we can do in the magazine is we can lay things out in a way that suggests to readers this is important, this is less important. You know, if we're giving something a lot of space and we're giving something a lot of attractive presentation, you know, it's probably worth your time. And, you know, that's our judgments. Sometimes people will disagree with those judgments, of course, but that's, that's the value of a magazine. It's, it's, you can say a lot visually that you can't really do on the web. You know, we have an artistic and graphic presentation. But we just don't have it on the web. It's just not there yet. Like let me, let me give you an idea. Let me give you an example of this. This story on death bonds, I don't know if you saw it or any of your readers saw it, it's got this guy with, a, you know, this sort of like a death figure with, dressed in black with a with a sickle. And inside, you know, the, pa- the pages are laid out with photographs of this guy presiding over meetings. It's really kind of an um, almost entertaining sort of thing, and it, it helps you move through the story very easily and, you know, get a little bit of a laugh. We've also got a design section in the magazine where we show the best designed products of 2007. And let me tell you, those photographs are stunning. They're absolutely stunning. And again, that's our judgment. We we are arranging them in a certain way. It suggests a certain hierarchy. You know, you may agree or not, but that is part of the reason people would buy the magazine.
1: Now, obviously, so many people today, the media included, are, are focused on blogs. Yeah. Is the amount of attention uh, and, uh, and, and, I guess, um, supposed influence that's being uh, given to blogs warranted?
2: I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, there's a few blogs that, that, um, that we run in the magazine that I, you know, I pay attention to, and I certainly do pay attention to the reaction to our stories on the net. Um, one thing that I have noticed is that our stories on the net get very um, rapid, and and frequent responses from people, you know, they're sitting at the computer, they can bang something out quickly. I'm told that in Silicon Valley in particular, um, if we do stories on, um, on anything to do with Silicon Valley, immediately there's a dozen blogs that pick up the stories and make comments on them and so on. So, you know, I think blogs definitely have an important and growing place. Um, how important are they going to be? I don't know. Um, I remember the cynical view used to be a blog is nothing more than, you know, a guy sitting down at the end of the bar on a Friday night, you know, kind of sounding off, and you know, how much significance we give that person. I don't think that's true anymore. I think there's a lot of blogs that have very thoughtful and very smart people who weigh in on lots of smart topics, and, um, you know, it's marketplace of ideas in a very you know chaotic and kind of intriguing form. I think they will be more and more important over t- over time, depending on who's writing them.
1: I want to talk about something that um, has been seen, I think, by a lot of people in uh, in business journalism as a blemish, uh, Enron. You know um, Malcolm Gladwell had written that story for The New Yorker saying that uh, the information was there. But uh, in order for people to put it all together, um, you had to be able to really do some homework and, and figure out what was going on. And it was, of course, a bureau reporter from, uh, I think, uh, the Houston office of the Wall Street Journal that wrote the first story, um, is, is Enron overvalued? And then, of course, you know, months transpired. I think two months transpired before Forbes wrote the story, and then everyone jumped on the bandwagon. Um, looking back on that, uh, with with your perspective and experience as a journalist, um, you know, are you surprised? Do you feel like uh, journalists are partially responsible for for missing that story?
2: Well, you know, the, the people at Enron did their best to, to cover up any unpleasant facts, and they were some very smart people that were doing that. So, um, you know, they they you can bury things in mountains of filings that. It takes someone with the patience and tenacity of a bureau reporter to go through and pull that stuff out, um, which is what happened in that case. Um, I, you know, clearly a determined group of thieves can do an enormous amount of damage. Um, and, you know, they can cover their tracks very well if they are also very, very smart. And, you know, that seems to have been what, what, what had happened there. Um, and I think you know there, there were a lot of members of the press who got fooled like everybody else, um, but there were also a lot of very smart people on Wall Street uh, who had invested in the stock, who had you know followed the company. The analysts had followed the company closely, and they also you know also got um, got snookered a bit. Um, I, I think if you if you do not have a tenacious press that goes after um, companies like that, then you know we 're going to lose, and um, you know one of my one of my concerns about the future is, will the economics of the journalism business support that kind of tenacity and um, you know are, are, are there going to be a lot of smart people going into the field who don 't get fooled who can find the stuff and you know i I honestly don 't know what 's going to happen there um, if you look at this this deal. Between Murdoch and the Wall Street Journal, um, I think that there's a lot of reason to believe that it could be a very good thing. Um, I know there's a lot of worry about about uh, Murdoch's liking for sensationalism and his politics and so on, but you know he would be he would really be foolish to tamper with the with the journal's um, integrity and its thoroughness. He would be very very helpful to that organization. If he could improve their economics, and you know, and that goes for everybody, for every field. I mean, if people on the business side of the publications can get out there and and improve the economics that we all operate under, then you know that journalism is better served.
1: Do Do you think? I mean, clearly, the newspaper business is is on the skids right now, um, as we see pretty much in every corner. Uh, in the globe, I mean, newspapers are struggling to survive. There, they've lost their classified advertising to uh, eBay and Craigslist and, and, uh, and Yahoo Jobs, and um, in many cases, you know, there are fewer reporters. There's a smaller news hole. But do you think that uh, that it's just sort of a a, uh, a passing fancy, and that ultimately people are going to realize the value of editorial oversight, and uh, perhaps folks like Sam Zell and and Rupert Murdoch are actually getting great deals on, on undervalued businesses that are going to have a, a, a second resurgence?
2: I, I don't think that the issue is a matter of um, reader demand. I think the reader demand, um, while it has been declining for newspapers in particular, by the way, it's, it's, it's stable for us. We, we haven't had any losses in terms of reader demand at the magazine. Been, it's been quite strong, and, and that continues. Newspapers have had a decline in reader demand, um, which is is an issue. But the bigger issue for all of us is that the advertisers have found the net to be a very cost-effective alternative to old media. And it's the advertisers who have kind of led the exodus away from old media and moved onto the net in a big way, and they're putting their resources there. And that is what has damaged... Um, the economics of the, of the product. The public, I think, generally still wants news and still can benefit from news. And you know, they want it in different forms. They may want it on the net. They may want it on TV. They may want it on radio and podcasts and blogs. But they want the news. The advertising model that it operates under no longer works the way it used to, and and that is the challenge. That's why I. Business Week, for instance, we have uh, presences in several different venues. We've got Business Week TV. We've got the print product. We've got uh, actually several print products. We've got Business Week Small Biz. We've got the Innovation Magazine. And we've got online. Together, they have to work as, you know, sort of a synergistic entity that brings in um, ad dollars as well as eyeballs and, you know, and, supports the enterprise that we're about it's very very tough to make that model work when advertisers are flocking to yahoo and google and you know the million places on the net that they can advertise blogs Um, you know there's a there's a lot of there's a lot more competition for ad dollars than has ever existed before and advertisers are smitten with the new media they're sitting on the sidelines on the old media are they going to come back I don't know. Um, I just really don't know that. I think we have to give we have to give the information in the ways that are most appealing, and uh, and the advertisers will flock to that.
1: So, you're the uh, chief uh, bu- of business correspondence.
2: Chief of correspondence.
1: Chief of correspondence, But you're also a U.S. citizen, yeah. and you're, you're also a human being. Yeah. And uh, you know, we all know that um, you know the role of of journalism in our democracy is to provide a sort of fourth estate, fourth checks and balances. And uh, if the media is going to do that, certainly truth and accuracy and integrity have to be the bottom line.
2: Nothing's changed there.
1: So what happens when the bottom line becomes the bottom line? Are we at risk of losing those checks and balances?
2: I don't think so. I mean, you know, uh, maybe maybe I'm naively optimistic, but I think that there's always going to be Whatever the medium, there's always going to be people writing about you know government problems if you're talking about government um, you know there's a million blogs that have grown up blogs and websites and specialty publications that have grown up online around d c and its doings and you know if anything, we've got a lot more people weighing in on on what government ought to ought to be and do and and so on. The net has given people a lot more voice, given a lot more people more voice than they had before. I don't think that's going to go away. You know, will the individual products be less influential? Probably some will be less influential. Um, You know, again, to bring it down to, say, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, you have two pillars of the establishment journalism. You know, I think the Wall Street Journal will continue to have a very, very powerful voice, um, and the new york times on the, on the right and the New York Times will continue to have a very, very powerful voice on the left and um, you know people will pay attention to those brands um, I, you know government politics is not core to our coverage at Business Week. We do some of it um, we don 't you know it's not our forte really we, we write about economics and we write about government insofar as it affects economics and business um, So we'll we'll be weighing in there, too, although not in the same way as the the newspapers. Joe
1: Weber, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS News Feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.